Governor Eric Holcomb asking voters for four more years as the first Democrat jumps into the race for governor. We'll talk with former Health Commissioner Woody Myers and GOP Chairman Kyle Hupfer, plus Senator Todd Young, Congressman Andre Carson, and Congressman Trey Hollingsworth on the week that was and the week ahead in Washington. It's all ahead this Sunday in Focus. Exploring the issues that matter most in Indiana. This is In Focus with Dan Spieler. Good morning. The race for governor is off and running. Governor Eric Holcomb officially announcing his bid for re-election yesterday, just days after one potential opponent became the first Democrat to officially enter the race. We'll talk with Hoosiers on both sides of the aisle coming up. But first, here's Nick McGill with a recap of the governor's announcement. Hey, Dan, the governor officially announcing his campaign for re-election on Saturday. He made that announcement at the historic Hoosier gym in Knightstown. Now, during his speech, he laid the groundwork for his 2020 campaign. To make it official and announce our commitment to keep Indiana moving forward for four more years. I think Eric Holcomb has been a governor of empty promises. This is a governor who, who has talked a big game, has not followed through on his promises. The governor will get started right away on the campaign trail. He's meeting with voters in Noblesville and Shelbyville on Monday. Dan. All right, I'm joined now by Kyle Hupfer, chairman of the Indiana Republican Party. Thank you so much for being with us. Lots to talk about here today, but we'll start with Governor Holcomb's bid for re-election. Four years ago, he was mulling a run for Senate, now running uh, for re-election as governor. His approval rating has been at or above 50 percent in a lot of recent polls, but still about a quarter of voters polled don't have an opinion of him yet. What, what do you make of those numbers? Well, I don't, again, I don't know what numbers you're looking at, but we were just in the field, and he's at 61 percent approval rating across the state, 68 percent approval rating in Marion County. So I think he's known a lot more than whatever this national polling group is that's, that maybe you're citing. We ask America, yeah. We ask America, yeah. So as we travel the state, it's clear that the governor's really well-known, very popular, um, and very well-positioned for this re-election bid. We just heard from your counterpart across the aisle who called Governor Holcomb a governor of, quote, empty promises on issues like teacher pay and early education. What's your response to that? Yeah, I, I don't know what state John Zodi's living in. It may be the one that uh, Woody Myers has been living in the last few years because they both seem to be disconnected from what's really happening in Indiana, which is two years record job creation back to back. We're in a third year where we may break the record again, certainly on pace for that. Opioid issues going down, infant mortality going down. Uh, wages going up, so I'm not really sure what what uh, what John Zodi's looking at. But you know, really, ever since Republicans took back control uh, 16 years ago, Indiana's been on an upward trajectory, and that's not changing. I know teacher pay was one issue he pointed to. Indiana's still ranking last in that regard. Yeah, again, I don't know what statistics John Zodi looks yeah. looks at, but the it's the highest funding in the state of Indiana. Um, it's the highest funded item. Uh, over a billion dollars of new dollars into education since Governor Holcomb took over. Uh, he's got a uh, commission going on looking for additional ways to put more dollars into the classroom. But at the end of the day, this isn't just a legislative issue. You know, the legislature does not control school pay. The legislature send money to schools and school boards control school pay. So this is really a local issue unless John Zodi and the Democrats in the legislature are suggesting that the state take over public education, which I surely hope they're not. You mentioned Woody Myers. Let's talk about this field sure. that's uh, now taking shape here as the as the first Democrat officially enters the race for governor to go up against Governor Holcomb. Former state health commissioner Dr. Woody Myers announced his candidacy on Wednesday, and he also spoke this week with our Debbie Knox. For too long, as a state, 
we have been satisfied with good enough. Uh, in, my, in my opinion, it's time for a change. And if I'm successful at, in, in helping Hoosiers to understand the rationale for that argument, and if I'm also successful in convincing Hoosiers that I'm the guy, I'm their guy to help articulate their concerns and, and make this change possible, then I'm willing to take it on. Meantime, another potential candidate for governor raising eyebrows this past week, Democratic State Senator Eddie Melton on a listening tour with Republican State Superintendent Jennifer McCormick. As we explore the possibilities of running for governor in the state of Indiana, uh, and right now this is just an opportunity for us to just to look at things in a more collaborative and bipartisan fashion, in particular when we talk about education, uh, because we need to take politics out of education and do this for the greater good of our children and our communities. I'm just thrilled that there's a bipartisan effort to listen. Really, it is just that. It's a, a listening opportunity and also to inform those who have questions and just super excited to be here. Uh, fair to say you weren't so excited to hear about uh, this tour? I know you put out a statement saying you're not sure she's yeah. still a Republican. Yeah, in your I, I mean, I think, and I've, I've told other folks this, you know, I think it is great when any elected official, when I was DNR director, I traveled the state, the governor's traveled the state extensively, um, heard from Hoosiers. We know people may think differently in Gary than they think in Boonville. Um, so it's important to get out. Um, what, is, what I think has been a little bit mischaracterized in this is that this is an official action. They continue to say that this is a bipartisan effort. It's not. These are Democrat campaign stops for a candidate who's out running for governor, um, not official action. So I'd, I'd highly encourage the superintendent to travel the state and have any official town halls that she'd like to hear about what uh, Hoosiers think about education. Just think it's inappropriate to use official assets and to be out on campaign stops with a Democrat gubernatorial candidate. Who, who may be running for governor in the exploratory process sure. now, yeah. Uh, from Dr. McCormick here to, to another elected Republican who's, who's been at odds with the state party for, for very different reasons, Attorney General Curtis Hill. He's out this week with some fundraising figures, says he's raised $220,000 since the end of the legislative session. He's obviously not stepping down, as you and other Republican leaders have called for after last year's groping allegations. Is there any scenario in which you're comfortable with him securing the nomination at the convention and running for re-election after all that has taken place. Listen, we're going to see how things play out. There's a lot coming up in in uh, Mr. Hill's life, including a week-long trial in front of the Indiana Supreme uh, Court in Disciplinary October. Commission. Yep. So we'll see where all that plays out. I've, I've refrained from really commenting on it, um, and I'll, I'll just continue to do so until we see how things play out. Got to ask you about the fifth district race as well. A lot of people on both sides getting in or thinking about getting in. You thought about it, decided not to. Nonetheless, are we looking at a crowded, maybe a contentious primary for Republicans? And is this still a safe seat for the GOP? I do think it's a safe seat from the GOP. Everything that we've seen, all the numbers we've been looking at, uh, much different race, much more Republican in a presidential year and a year when you're going to have a, a governor candidate like Eric Holcomb at the top of the ticket who's you know got an extensive campaign and is very popular in the high 60s in, in uh, that area, Donut Counties. Um, so I think it's a lot different race, a lot more secure for Republicans in 2020. President Trump above him on the ticket as well in 2020. Absolutely. Of course, yeah. yep. uh, Kyle Hupford, thank you so much. This week uh, we also spoke with, speaking of the 5th District race, the latest candidate to enter, former State Rep Christina Hale. We have had you here with us uh, in studio as a panelist before, now as a candidate in what has typically been a Republican district. What does the path to victory look like for you in this race? 
Well, I'm running for Congress because I'm a practical person and like everybody else, I'm just sick of the constant chaos in Washington, D.C. Last year, a couple of Democrats running for Congress in Indiana made waves saying they would not support Speaker Pelosi to remain in her leadership role. Obviously, a lot of division in the party and in both parties, but division amongst Democrats over things like impeachment and other issues. Where do you stand? Would you support Pelosi to stay in her role or would you support someone new? Well, I'm not certain if she's going to run again. I mean, that will be the decision for the next Congress. Up next this Sunday in Focus, we're days away from Robert Mueller's testimony in Congress. We'll talk with an Indiana lawmaker who will be a part of that hearing. And you'll hear what elected officials here in Indiana are saying about the controversy involving the labor secretary who's now decided to step down and the cabinet official from Indiana who could be the next to go. Stick around. Robert Mueller's long-awaited testimony in Congress has been delayed a week until the 24th. He'll testify in front of the House Intelligence Committee. Indiana Congressman Andre Carson sits on that committee. In recent days, we spoke with him and other Indiana lawmakers about some of the big stories in the nation's capital. Well, we're still going through the line of questioning and which members will ask which questions as it relates to their committees of jurisdiction. So as the chairman of the subcommittee on counterproliferation and counterterrorism and counterintelligence, I want to make sure my questions are specific to that aspect of the investigation. I want to talk about immigration and the situation at the border. Vice President Pence down along the border this week. You recently had protesters outside one of your offices in the district last week calling for a more humane solution. Should we be doing more to make this a more humane situation for the migrant families involved? And what are your thoughts on this potential mass deportation we're hearing about this weekend? Absolutely, Dan. We can build an immigration system that both serves American interests and resounds with American values. And I think that's hugely important to me to ensure ultimately that we're putting American interest and Americans first by stopping illegal immigration once and for all. But with those individuals that have come here or alternatively are trying to come here illegally, we have to find a humane answer that resounds with our American values. And that's exactly why last week I voted to send $4.9 billion more to combat this crisis. There is a culture of disrespect uh, that is very reflective of this administration's policies toward immigrants and migrants. The mistreatment of families is unacceptable. And I think Congress has a responsibility to put pressure on the administration to make sure these families are protected and have a pathway to a better life. They're fleeing dictatorship. They're fleeing violence. They're fleeing drug lords and, and serious concerns and gang wars. Having a safe haven is ever critical. Is the situation unacceptable in your view? Should more be done to to protect some of these migrants in a more humane way? And what's your position on, on these mass deportations that we keep hearing about that may be happening soon? Yes, so um, more must be done. It's unclear exactly beyond reforming our nation's immigration laws exactly what can be done. It's really unfortunate that it took Democrats in the House of Representatives uh, months to approve of this funding that the president has been asking for, uh, for humanitarian purposes. What's your reaction to all of this back and forth over the census? Well, look, I think there's a lot of questions out there about this. There's a lot of judicial proceedings. The administration has tried very hard to get it in the initial census, trying very hard to get this question asked. Ultimately, this boils down to a very fundamental question in our democracy. Are 
our representatives representing the interests of their voting citizens or alternatively representing the interests of all persons, irrespective of whether they may be citizens or not? And I think that's the question that the courts are going to have to answer. Also, a lot of news this week on the Epstein case and a lot of calls for the labor secretary to step down. The Senate obviously voted to confirm him. Should he resign in your view? Well, in the end, that's a, a, a question for the president. I called the president this morning. I told him that I thought the right thing was to step aside. Uh, well, it's certainly clear that he had to go. Uh, I think uh, what this shows more broadly is the, uh, a pattern in this administration where the country's business cannot get done because of these horrifying scandals that touch the White House. All right, we have more of those interviews on our website right now. It's time to talk with our panel. With us today, Adam Wren, contributing editor for Politico and Indianapolis Monthly. Abdul Hakim Shabazz, the editor and publisher of IndiePolitics.org. Also joined by former communications director for the Indiana Senate Democrats, Elise Schrock, and Republican communications strategist Rob Burgess. So a, a lot in the news this past week, guys. Uh, what will this next week bring, especially with more controversy uh, over the labor secretary? Reports that Dan Coats. Uh, could, in fact, be out of the administration sooner. And, of course, the Mueller hearing looming large this next week as well. Yeah, and not only that, but on Tuesday, uh, one of my colleagues at Politico magazine, Tim Alberta, has a book coming out called American Carnage, which has some pretty unflattering anecdotes about the vice president in there. Um, another book coming out later this year about the vice president by former Indianapolis star uh, political analyst Tom Lobianco right. has, has tough news for him. So I think it's really going to be a tough few weeks and a tough few months for the vice president as far as negative news cycles go. Yeah, and we saw the Tim Alberta uh, book and driving some of that Paul Ryan, uh, mm -hmm. President Trump feud this week. What are you looking at here as we talk about Acosta out, maybe Dan Coates next? Uh, also, uh, Indiana's going to be the center of the political universe uh, for the next right. couple of weeks with young Democrats having their uh, annual convention in Indianapolis, uh, Pete Buttigieg speaking, also Nancy Pelosi speaking, and then uh, just be announced uh, this weekend that Joe Biden will be here the following week for the National Urban League Conference. So if you, if you love politics, get some popcorn because Indiana is going to be the right place to be in for the next couple of weeks. Yeah, Indiana's <laughs> in the spotlight, and at least right. you're part of that uh, Young Democrats of America convention. What's the significance of, of having the Young Democrats here in a traditionally Republican state? Sure, it's huge. Um, it's been really exciting putting this together over the last two years. This host committee has been working to put on um, not just a, a convention that is um, unprecedented based on being in Indianapolis for the first time, but it is unprecedented to have speakers at this high level, including um, the national speaker. speakers, including <laughs> the speaker. Right. So we're really proud. I think that signals the hard work that in Indiana young Democrats and Indiana Democrats are doing, and that we're willing to put that work in to um, to see big results on the back end. I think um, we've talked about this last news cycle. Um, what you've seen at the national level is again a consistent chaos coming out of the White House here in Indiana. You're going to see firsthand a clear distinction of Democrats coming to talk about what they can do for Hoosiers, what they can do for people in the nation, and not just being caught up in chaos. Well, speaking of the chaos, there's a lot of chaos here, it seems, on both sides mm -hmm. of the aisle. The current Speaker of the House and the former Speaker of the House, Paul Ryan, both involved in a lot of uh, fights this week with members of their own party. Yeah, absolutely. And what Nancy Pelosi is seeing right now is something that a lot of Republicans have had to experience over the course of the last two or three years. You know, that she's being accused of, you know, whether it's racist behavior or whether it's being accused of 
pushing out minority parts of her own party. We had the president defending Nancy Pelosi I, on Friday. It's, it's a crazy circus right now in Washington, D.C., but I think it's going to be a continuing theme going into 2020, and we're going to continue trying to see uh, how much of that swamp we can drain. What about this race for president? Uh, Pete Buttigieg, of course, uh, one of the people coming here for this uh, convention here this week, somewhat uh, trailing the polls now is kind of a solid fifth place. Adam, uh, where is his campaign right now? In the well, one of the big things happening? that I'm watching about and that they're thinking about internally is the gap between his uh, field leading uh, fundraising number and his field kind of at the bottom of the top tier uh, with voters. But I think that's it's fairly explainable. Uh, he's still not well known in a lot of parts of the country and elite donors are the kind of people who, you know, are, are kind of the first in to a candidacy like that. The same thing happened with the campaign of then-Senator Barack Obama. Um, I think the big thing to watch is, in the third quarter, how does he spend the money that he's made? Um, his staff is going to be scaling up from uh, 100 people now to 300 people in the next few weeks. Um, and can he really translate that money into an increased base of support at the polls? He's done well in some states, done well in some uh, polls in Iowa, not so much in South Carolina. Uh, not so much South Carolina. And the challenge for Pete Buttigieg is going to be the controversy involving the South Bend right. police officer shooting. And uh, I had a commentator, a colleague of mine, tell me this week, which I thought was very salient. And instead of uh, Pete Buttigieg trying to appeal to the Al Sharpton crowd, he ought to be trying to build bridges more with the African Americans in his own community, because those are the folks who a lot of people may be looking to to see how was his relationship with African Americans, because that is where that is Pete's biggest Achilles heel, in my opinion, right now. What do you think we'll hear from him here in Indianapolis on Thursday? I, I think he's going to be talking about um, taking uh, taking the nation into a new and better era. You always hear him say, "Turning the channel on what's going on in the White House." I think we'll hear that language again. I think he's going to inspire the work that's being done by young Democrats nationwide, um, and really uh, give us a great boost of energy to not just talk about what's going on at the national level, but what's going on up and down the ticket. We have people running across the state, across the nation at every level. Well, let's talk about what's happening down the ticket at the state level in the race for governor. Eric Holcomb officially launching his bid for re-election this weekend as the first Democrat also steps into the race for governor. And in the midst of this statewide Melton McCormick tour, really uh, quite a way to get this race for governor started in the past few days. Absolutely. Obviously, uh, Governor Holcomb's the incumbent. We fully expected him to announce he was running for re-election. But I think what's going to be very interesting to see is how many Republicans from outside the donut counties are getting as enthusiastic about this campaign as Indianapolis is. I think that's something that's going to be entirely uh, interesting to watch. And it might be the inroads to a Democrat maybe being able to have a little bit better of a chance here in 2020 than they did 2016. Hmm. We had Woody Myers and Eddie Melton in the news a lot this past week. I know you've been working with Carly Maser a bit, too. Is she close to a decision? Yeah, I, I know that she's in deliberating along with uh, Senator Melton, who's formed his exploratory. Right. We have uh, Dr. Woody Myers, who's announced. So we've got a number of great Democratic candidates. Uh, to your point, I do think that, you know, I think some of the last numbers showed the governor at about around a 50% approval level or less. That's not like next level. That's actually kind of soft. So I do think there's um, an opportunity for us to come in. We're going to have to do the work, though. We have to have a candidate who will do the work. What do you make of this situation with the state superintendent, Dr. McCormick, this week? Kind of out on the campaign trail. Here, here's, today, here's, a, here's a problem with Jennifer McCormick. And Jennifer is a, is a really good friend. A lot, a lot of respect for what she's done. We're in a totally different universe if Eddie Melton is running just as a state senator doing the listening tour. He was, he was on the State Board of Education, so he has a, a legitimate credentials when it comes to education. The problem is it's a political campaign 
that's paying for all this. If it wasn't the campaign foot the bill, then we're, we're pretty much straightforward. But I think, once again, this shows maybe some division between Jennifer McCormick and sort of the Republican establishment, much like the same situation with Indiana Attorney General Curtis Hill. Yeah, and what about Curtis Hill and the money he has raised now since the legislative session, putting out a release this week saying he's raised $220,000. What does that tell you about his viability for 2020? You heard Kyle Huffer earlier not really wanting to comment on what could happen here over the next few months uh, heading into the convention. I think it's a sign of strength, and I think, um, you know, there's a little bit of chest thumping there. Um, you know, it, it, you you hear uh, stories and, and, and you talk to people that he's not all that interested in, in being attorney general for, for that long, um, that he, you know, has a pipeline to some position in the Trump administration if that were to happen. Um, but he's, you know, clearly... Uh, I think the favorite, if he, if he decides to run for re-election, um, we haven't heard that bit of news yet, uh, but I think this signals we'll in that direction. Happens. Yeah. All right, we'll see what happens. We'll have to leave it there. Coming up, Indiana leaders pause to remember one of our state's most inspiring citizens. That's coming up next. Today, Hoosiers are paying their respects to Holocaust survivor Ava Kaur. Her funeral being held today in Terre Haute. She died during her annual trip to Auschwitz, where she was held captive as a little girl. There are two public memorials next month at Indiana State and at Butler. Governor Eric Holcomb said, The world just lost a giant with Kaur's passing everywhere she went. She brought light into darkness and provided comfort to those in pain, unlike anyone we've ever met from her. Uh, against all odds survival as a young girl to her peace-spreading message based from her home in Terre Haute. Her relentless and optimistic example inspired the world. We'll be right back after this. All right, time to wrap it up with this week's winners and losers. Adam. Uh, winner, Indiana Young Democrats for the program they put together this coming week. Loser, Vice President Mike Pence for some of the bad press he'll get over the next few weeks. Abdul. Big winner, uh, Curtis Hill for record fundraise for any kind of a, any attorney general. Uh, biggest loser, unfortunately, John Schmidt, who didn't make, not only did not make the signature skill on the ballot from Indianapolis, but I'm here and forgot to sign his own name to his petitions. Uh, I'm going to say the winners are the hogs at the state fair who are going to get $50 million <laughs> in a revamped barn from our budget surplus on the same end of uh, that spectrum, or other end of that spectrum, Indiana's teachers who still aren't going to get a raise even though we can provide $50 million for a hog barn. Rob? Winner, Curtis Hill, great fundraising numbers, record study for Attorney General. Uh, losers, I've got to say, the Indiana Pacers draft just wasn't hope what Indiana wanted. <laughs> we'll see how all of that shakes out, I guess, <laughs> in the months ahead. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you again next Sunday in Focus.